Welcome to the sixth and final episode in our real estate podcast series on the compulsory purchase or CPO regime in England. I'm Fiona Sawyer, a professional support lawyer, and I'm here with Rebecca Butterworth, an associate in the Herbert Smith Freehills London planning team. Rebecca, we've learned a lot about compulsory purchase in this series so far. So what's left? Thank you, Fiona. You're right. This series has already covered what compulsory purchase is, why a compulsory purchase order might be sought, and how to make and implement such an order. In this final episode, we will assume that a valid compulsory purchase order has been made and is being implemented, and we'll discuss the very important topic of compensation, which is the payment made by the person exercising the compulsory purchase power to those affected by such a power. Even though this is the last episode, I expect that compensation will be one of the first issues to be considered when deciding to use a CPO. So really, we have come full circle. Of course. Although the payment of the compensation is one of the final steps, the issue of compensation will be considered early on and require ongoing analysis throughout the process. Firstly, the expected level of compensation will need to be established to guide private negotiations with landowners for the purchase of their land. This is important, as compulsory purchase powers should only be used as a measure of last resort, something which Annika Holden discussed in the second episode of our series, which explored how to justify a CPO. The level of compensation payable will also affect the viability of the proposed development, An increase in the compensation may require additional funding measures to be put in place by seeking investors or taking out a loan. The acquiring authority will need to show that adequate funding is in place to purchase the land and complete the development in order to satisfy the public interest test which you heard about in episode 2. The timetable for the development can also be dictated by the compensation and in particular the risk that there will be long-running disputes over how much should be paid. Calculating when and how much compensation is payable is a very complicated exercise. Therefore, expert guidance on compensation is essential throughout the compulsory purchase process. So how do developers calculate the level of compensation required? The amount of compensation paid varies in every case, dependent on the specific facts. However, there are general legal principles which guide how the calculation should be made, and these are what I will focus on here. It's worth noting that where compulsory purchase powers are contained in a Development Consent Order, or DCO, as we have previously explored in this series through the fictional example of Smith Airports Limited, the specific terms of the order itself can be used to modify the general principles, and so these need to be considered carefully. So, under the general legal principles, the basis of the compensation calculation is the equivalence principle which says that the owner should be paid neither less nor more than their loss. Simply, the compensation should be equivalent to the loss suffered. So the loss is based on the value of the interest in the land, its price. The price of the land is an important part of the compensation paid, and it must be valued in a specific way at a particular time. The time at which the price should be calculated is the valuation date. In episode 5 of this series, Julia McCown talked about implementation and discussed the two procedures which can be used to implement a standalone CPO, notices to treat and general vesting declarations. Each of these two processes requires a different valuation date. 
If a notice to treat route is followed, the land is valued on the date when the acquirer takes possession. But if a general vesting declaration is used to transfer the ownership of the land, the vesting date is used to consider the value. Okay, so that tells us the date when the value is set, but how is the land valued? The price will be set as the open market value of the land interest on the valuation date. To make this equivalent to the loss, a combination of real and assumed elements feed into the valuation. The actual condition of the land and the buildings is used to determine the value. So, the specific characteristics of the land will affect the compensation, just as they would affect the price on a voluntary sale. One characteristic which affects the compensation is the development potential of the land. Development potential raises the value of land, and so the person being compensated can claim for this value uplift if the land had potential for redevelopment before the CPO was exercised. However, this potential development loss does not include the redevelopment which is being proposed as part of the CPO itself. This is called the no scheme principle and requires any increase or decrease in the value of the land as a result of the redevelopment to be disregarded. A further important assumption required for the valuation is that of the willing seller. This means that a ransom compensation cannot be demanded on the basis that the person compensated is not willingly parting with the land. Okay, but what if there is no open market for a type of land? There are some types of land which have very specific uses which aren't commonly sold. Yes, churches are the most commonly used example of this. In this situation, the person affected by the CPO can claim the reasonable cost of reinstatement on another site. So part of this would be the cost of purchasing land elsewhere and then making it suitable for the specific use, for example, as a church. However, this is only available if reinstatement is intended. You said that the price of land was only part of the compensation. What else might be compensated? There are other losses which may need to be addressed to ensure that someone affected by a CPO is adequately compensated. For instance, the cost of relocation to an alternative place is a common loss. These costs would not have arisen if the CPO had not been exercised. Another cost would be professional fees in negotiating the amount of compensation. If a business premises is being purchased, then that business may lose goodwill or profits as a result of the CPO. So there can be various types of compensation payments, which can be claimed for disturbance, distress and inconvenience. The overall compensation should satisfy the principle of equivalence and varies for each CPO and claimant. If the claimant can prove that the loss was a natural, direct and reasonable consequence of the CPO, then this loss will need to be compensated. And what about people who don't lose any land? Do they have any rights to compensation? Absolutely, Fiona. Some people who continue to own land in the area may be able to claim compensation. Their land may decrease in value because of the CPO for various reasons. An extreme example would be if the land became inaccessible. These people may also make claims. A further type of compensation payable to neighbouring landowners relates to the proposed use of the land which is acquired using the CPO. If the new use causes certain physical effects, such as noise or fumes, this could reduce neighbouring land values. One example is that of an airport, 
where any neighbouring landowners may be affected by noise and see a reduction in the value of their property. This loss would need to be compensated. So there could be a large group of people who are entitled to claim and it could be a large amount of money. Who pays the compensation? If a standalone CPO is being used to purchase land, the purchase is made by the local authority. Therefore, the local authority is responsible for paying the compensation. However, if the local authority is exercising its powers to purchase land to support a particular development, for example, as part of an urban regeneration it wishes to support, the wider context of the development may enable the local authority to pass these costs onto the developer through an indemnity agreement. Where the acquisition is part of a DCO process, the developer is able to exercise the purchase powers itself and will be directly responsible for paying compensation. Thank you, Rebecca. I can see how complicated deciding on an appropriate value might be. What is the process for deciding how much compensation is paid? Do the parties agree privately or does the third party make an independent decision? The parties are able to agree the amount of compensation privately if they can. Private agreements should always be sought by the acquirer, and where reasonable compensation is offered, landowners will appreciate the certainty of a negotiated agreement. Government guidance also encourages the use of alternative dispute resolution, for example mediation, as a way of agreeing the amount of compensation. However, when agreement is not possible, the compensation has to be determined by the Lands Tribunal. Either party can refer the dispute to the tribunal, who will arrange a hearing and then decide on the amount payable. Rebecca, as you know, we've been using a couple of practical examples to explore CPOs during this series. Could you give an example to explain compensation? Sure. As a brief reminder to our listeners, our fictional example is set on the site of a former airfield called Freehills Airfield. Herbert Homes International, a property development company, owns half the site and wants to build homes. The other half of the site is owned by Smith Airport Limited, which wants to operate an airport. Both owners need the full site in order to develop and need compulsory purchase powers to obtain the rest of the land as private negotiations between the parties have been unsuccessful. The land is currently unused. For our current purposes, we will assume that Herbert Holmes has been successful in securing a standalone CPO to compulsory acquire Smith Airport's land and has obtained planning permission for housing on the land. Herbert Holmes will rely on the local authority to exercise the CPO and then transfer the land. Therefore, Herbert Holmes will need to enter into an indemnity agreement with the local authority to cover the costs of compensation. Smith Airport will wish to maximise the compensation that it receives. To do this, it could try to argue that the land has valuable development potential as a profitable airport, pointing out that the land has previously been used as an airport as evidence that this development would be permissible. Meanwhile, Herbert Holmes will wish to minimise the compensation payable, whilst attempting to agree a value through private negotiation with Smith Airport to avoid the additional cost of asking the Lands Tribunal to decide the issue. Herbert Holmes could argue that Smith Airport would be unlikely to reopen the site as an airport because the site is unsuitable and unavailable for that use, or because Smith Airport lacks the necessary permits and licences to construct and operate an airport, and these are unlikely to be granted. 
Any change in the value of Smith Airport's land, which is caused by Herbert Holmes' development, will be disregarded under the no scheme principle. For example, if Herbert Holmes had already started to build houses on its own land before the valuation date for the compensation, these homes and their construction would be disregarded as part of the valuation. Thank you very much, Rebecca. This was the final episode in this series. We hope you've enjoyed listening. All of the previous episodes are available on our development blog or through our website. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you. This series is intended to provide a general overview of the various stages of the compulsory purchase process. We've tried to ensure that each podcast is accurate at the time of recording, but the law can change and a general overview can't take account of the many different factors that can affect each individual case. So please seek legal or professional advice. If you have any questions on this podcast or any other in the series, please get in touch using the contact details on the podcast homepage. Thank you.